Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Econ for You podcast series. I'm Sanjana and the aim of my podcast is to interview professionals of different industries in order to hopefully increase awareness on how we can develop our economy for the better. Give our Instagram at EFY Podcasts and our Spotify a follow for the chance to ask questions for future guest speakers or alternatively email at econforyou at outlook.com. In today's episode, I'm delighted to introduce Preeti Krishtel, co-founder and co-executive director of IMAC, a non-profit organisation that aims to tackle discrepancies in the patent system, allowing everyone access to life-saving medication that they need. Preeti's team work alongside patients, consumers, governments and patent officers in the US and have so far enabled over $50 billion in savings for health systems. So Preeti, could you tell us a little bit more about your role and your reason for starting IMAC? Sure. I started doing this work in the early 2000s during the height of the HIV epidemic. And I worked at a legal aid organization in India, working with people living below the poverty line who couldn't afford the medicines they and their families needed to stay alive. And through that experience, I came to learn about the patent system, learned about the role it played in providing private actors monopolies and how it was directly impacting my clients who couldn't afford the medicines they needed to stay alive. So it was there that I met my co-founder, Tahir Amin, who had come from the UK, actually, from a uh, private sector background. He was an intellectual property solicitor, and he had a deep understanding of the system from the other side. So we teamed up with a few friends and colleagues and decided to start IMAC. And today it's been uh, 15 years since we started IMAC. And oh, that's we've impressive. Yeah, we've worked in almost 50 countries, had the privilege of working with patients and advocates all over the world, and uh, definitely have come to believe, now that we're working in the U.S., that the system is disproportionately weighted uh, to think about economic growth at the expense of human life. Yep. So when we talk about the flaws in the patent system, are there any specific drugs that we're looking at, or is it... Um, mainly the everyday drugs that we use, such as aspirin, or what kind of drugs are we talking about? It's really across the board. I think older drugs, certainly like insulin or aspirin, we're still seeing patenting activity on them. The real access issues, though, and the high cost of medicines, we see that more and more in drugs that are best-selling drugs or blockbusters. As drugs near patent expiry, companies start to engage in what we call defensive patenting to make sure no competition can enter the market and nobody else can make or sell the drug. And that's really where taxpayers, members of the public, and government health systems are being hit the hardest. So on average, how many patents does a single drug have, like 10, 20, or more than that? We conducted a series of investigations over the last couple of years to look at, in America, the best-selling drugs. And for the 12 best-selling drugs in America in 2018, we found that on average there were 125 patents wow. filed on 
And in the case of the actual best-selling drug, Humira, there were over 270 patents filed on one drug product. That's a lot. So what what kind of features do these drugs get patented for? Because there's only so much you can patent something for, surely. <laughs> Apparently not. Uh, they uh, file for patents on a range of things, different uses for a given compound, different formulations, combinations, dosage forms, you know, switching a tablet to a film, everything is fair game. And what we see very concretely in the data is as more patents are filed, the length of the monopoly increases, which means that if a patent should have expired in 2020, it may get dragged out until 2026. And that time period will make a patent holder billions of dollars, but it will cost us as the public that amount of money and have detrimental impact on human health uh, and well-being. Yeah, indeed. So the big farm are currently worth around $1.3 billion. So considering the current situation regarding the pandemic, do you think that the pandemic will actually reduce this complacency of firms and maybe increase their corporate social responsibility? Or do you think that you still need to do a lot more work to get these firms to stop chasing profits and actually helping society? I don't believe that COVID has changed anything. Uh, we've seen all of the companies who are leading in the race for the vaccine um, behaving like it's business as usual. Uh, everything is about proprietary rights, hoping that the market will take care of the problem. And so we are not actually seeing any departure from business as usual, unfortunately, even in the wake of the pandemic. And this is across sectors. It's not just about the vaccine. We've seen yeah. this with PPE. Uh, we've seen this with ventilators. The monopolistic behavior is carrying out on every vertical that's needed to protect health right now. And it's really a shame. So what do you think we should do to prevent this monopolistic behavior of these firms? I think we really need to think about uh, reimagining what capitalism looks like, frankly. You know, we think about this in the realm of patents, and we have a platform for patent reform called RAISE, where we talk about raising the bar for what can get a patent, amending the incentives uh, both inside and out of the patent office itself, increasing public participation and making sure that the public stake in the outcome of the innovation process uh, is actually guarded. Standing for justice, which gives the public far more legal rights than we currently have to do something when monopolies are standing in the way of health or life and expanding oversight. Because right now, we see, for example, here in the U.S., we see a real lack of oversight over the patenting process yeah. and over uh, what happens to the things that are invented in the system. And all of this has to change. But surely raising the bar for how, how easily you can access a patent, surely that would hinder innovation because the, the reason the patent system was created was um, to encourage firms to innovate and so that they could protect their intellectual property and protect their innovation. So do you think that if we make these changes, then it would just reduce the incentive for um, the big pharma companies? And in fact, would it 
fire back at us as society? We're in the middle of a global pandemic. So it's like there's a thousand of us on a ship that's sinking and they're offering to send us, you know, 150 life vests. When in reality, if they let others send us life vests, we could save so many more lives. Mm. I don't think these are normal circumstances. I don't think that this should deter innovation, particularly in light of the tremendous amount of public and philanthropic investment that has gone into the COVID vaccine R&D. So considering this, what's your opinion on patent pooling? Because do you think that's an effective enough solution to um, perhaps reduce the number of patents given, but to reward several firms in the industry? Or do you, what's your opinion on that? I think in theory, it's a step in the right direction to call on private actors to unlock knowledge and share the fruits um, of the process. But ultimately, it's voluntary. And ultimately, it's voluntary on the part of private actors who are actually disincentivized to do the right thing in this moment and save as many lives as possible. You're fighting against an economic system that incentivizes the extraction of maximum rents. And so in a case like the pandemic, it remains to be seen if something like pooling is going to be effective. But for prior epidemics and global pandemics like HIV or hepatitis C, we're still seeing so many countries, so many people excluded from these pools. So we have a long way to go. Mm. So you, you mentioned previous pandemics and uh, stuff like HIV. So have we, what have we learned from previous pandemics that we could apply to the current pandemic in terms of patenting vaccines or just in general about medication? So if I'm hearing you correctly, you're asking, have we learned anything from prior pandemics? Yeah. And I think we have absolutely learned that monopoly rights, patent rights stand in the way of access. And it takes governments reimagining their patent systems to balance public health with private interest in order to create mechanisms for competition, global supply, and making sure that the world's citizens, but particularly our poorest citizens, have the right to access these innovations. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So do you think that there is a political motive for governments to continue giving out numerous patents? Is, is the issue the government or does it lie in the private sector? I think the issue is our current economic system. You know, if you look back at history, maybe a half century ago, Mm -hmm. when you talked about the patent system, economists actually were not even invited to weigh in on that conversation because they were seen as anti-patent. And with the rise of the, the new economics, you know, the framework we live under today, That was when we started to see innovation being recognized and elevated as this key driver of economic growth. So I think that governments are working within the system we have today to drive innovation as a way to drive economic growth. 
And I think we're in a moment of reckoning globally uh, mm-hmm. about so many of our social structures. The economy is at the heart of that. Yeah. And I think that what we on the ground have seen very clearly is that our quest for innovation, the scales have tilted too far in that direction. And there's no concern on the part of governments or the private sector, because they're not incentivized to do so, to think about, well, what happens to all that innovation? Who is it actually reaching? Is this actually progress? Yeah, that's true, because governments now are just focusing on achieving GDP growth and not actually thinking about how their mm-hmm. economy can actually develop um, and help society. So, yeah, that's um, really interesting. But I was wondering if um, any countries actually don't have a patent system as part of their um, healthcare model, and do you think that they've been successful in not having a patent system at all, or is this something that is globally implemented? Yes, a lot of people don't know this, but um, most of our Western countries actually develop their economies without a patent system. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Switzerland is a great example of this. They didn't have one, I think, until... 1977, and today they have this flourishing industry. Uh, India is another example. India is the pharmacy of the world's poor. Uh, Mm. India supplies low-cost medicines to so many other countries. And until 2005, for many, many decades, India did not have product patents or patents on medicines. And the generics industry in India really developed and flourished as a result. And so I think that there's a lot to learn from that. I think there's an assumption that you have to have patents in order to incentivize the growth of industry or creativity and innovation. And we know from human history and experience that that's not true. So why did Switzerland and India then decide to change their strategy when it seemed to be working so well without having a patent system? Do you know why? So in the context of India, that happened as a response to the, the rise of the World Trade Organization, which had uh, preconditions to becoming a member. So it's part of a larger uh, shift towards globalization and global trade that happened. Uh, and as countries were given more time, you know, India took an extra 10 years to bring this new regime in. Uh, And presumably the thinking was that there would be benefits that outweighed the costs. And that remains to be seen. Okay, yeah. So I understand that the US seems to have been more hard hit than any other country globally. Is that right? Um, Regarding drug prices, because they are quite high in the US. Yes and no. I think that... Countries all over the world are being hit extremely hard by drug prices, and we're hearing from patients worldwide saying that they can't afford or get the medicines they need. Uh, The WHO recognizes this as a global crisis, and in fact, they say that the inability to afford medicines, you know, because most countries in the world have a system where you pay out of pocket, Mm -hmm. that decision moment for families all over the world is actually what locks them into intergenerational poverty because they either have to sell an asset like the family cow or they have to pull their child out of school to start working just to afford medicines. And so 
I, I think it's really important to recognize that this is a global crisis that affects 2 billion people not being able to afford their medicines. Right. That being said, the U.S. has a spotlight on it right now because it's unimaginable. The richest country in the world, one in four people is saying that they can't afford their medicines, that they're rationing, that they're making difficult choices. People are, you know, not buying their medicine because they can't afford it. And we're seeing a lot of death, including in young people from the diabetes crisis. We're seeing, you know, 13% of Americans are saying that they've actually lost a loved one because they couldn't afford their medicine. So mm, that's really Ameri sad, yeah. yeah, America's just got a spotlight on it right now because it's unfathomable that we would have such loss of life or such financial struggle happening with the American people because of high drug costs. And you know, drug costs have here, uh, they've tripled in the last decade and they're poised to double again right now. Wow. So there's no end in sight right now because the government is still very much relying on principles of the free market to solve all of this. Yeah. And it's very clear that it's not going to solve this problem for us. And the fact that incomes aren't rising as these drug prices rise means that inequality in globally is just going to the gap is just going to widen. So it's quite it's quite worrying. Um, Absolutely, you know, you see the new drugs being priced at one or two million dollars as a launch price right exactly, now. So it's yeah. unsustainable for the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And this, to me, is the really interest interesting intersection between the health and the patent system because the patent system is viewed as a driver of economic growth it's yeah. not even treated as an institution that has anything to do with health or health care but in fact for those of us who work within the medicines apparatus it plays a very clear role and an important role that we have to recognize and elevate right now to be able to solve some of these global crises that we're in mm. That, that's really true. So could you go back to what maybe three things that you think that need to be changed in the patent system and maybe something that IMAC has already worked on maybe just so our audience um, can have a clear idea of what we can do in the future? Sure. One of the core aspects of our platform for change is to stop the over-patenting problem. The original intention behind patents was that they were supposed to serve as a reward for genuine invention. Mm -hmm. And what we've seen, particularly in the last 40 years, is the rise of the patent system actually being used as a pawn to uh, block competition. And so that's why we're seeing 100, 200 patents being filed on one medicine right now. So it's had the it reversal effect to what? it intended basically exactly yeah. so that's a very core part of our platform uh, two other things probably worth mentioning are you know we make a big push to increase public participation in the patent system right now when i talk to a member of the public or even a member of congress they have very little understanding of the patent system mm -hmm. and for a system that claims that it touches nearly 40% of our GDP and is a driver of that GDP, it's astonishing to me how 
uh, opaque it is, how inaccessible it is to not only the general public, but also to decision makers. So that too is a core part of our platform that the black box now needs to be opened up and has to, the patent office, just like every other office, has to have the same level of scrutiny and general public engagement. Okay, yeah. So I think that brings us to the end. So thank you, Preeti, a lot. I really appreciate you um, helping me kickstart this podcast. Um, it's great to see that concerns about the system are finally being voiced and it's great to see the amount of work you've been putting in. So I think our audience will definitely have a look at your work, have a look at your website. And I recommend watch. I've watched your TED talk, which I recommend to the audience as well. So thank you and um, good luck for the future as well. Thank you so much, Sanjana. Good luck to you too. Thank you. So that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I hope you have enjoyed listening to our guest speaker today. Be sure to follow the Instagram at EFY Podcast and I hope you enjoyed listening to our discussion. 